This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Now today marks World AIDS Day, commemorated annually on the 1st of December. And this is an opportunity for every community to unite in the fight against uh, uh, HIV and uh, the scourge of uh, HIV. Uh, It's also uh, an opportunity to show support for people living with HIV and remember those who have died and succumbed to uh, this uh, virus. And South Africa has been relentless in its mission to turn the HIV and AIDS epidemic around and fight the scourge. There have also been many scientific advances in HIV treatments over the past 30 years that has led to better understanding of the virus. And Vets University has long been recognized uh, as a global uh, leading university in HIV research, contributing vast amount of knowledge in the fight against uh, the pandemic. And the recent one being uh, the HIV study that has shown new injection that ha- that is uh, said to be more effective than the current daily HIV pill to prevent HIV in women. Uh, we are joined on the line by Professor Helen Rees. She is uh, the executive director of uh, the Vets Reproductive Health and HIV Institute at Vets University. Good morning, Professor Helen Rees. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. How are you? I am fine. Fine. Thanks in you, Professor. Good. Thank you. Now, Professor Helen Rees, according to our vet, uh, I mean, the East and Southern Africa is uh, the region hardest hit by HIV and AIDS. And to my surprise, uh, over 20.6 million people are living with uh, HIV and AIDS in uh, the East and uh, the Southern part of Africa. Why are we the most affected to start with? It's a very good question, and it's still one that we haven't completely finally answered. But I think that we've got a much better idea now than we did some years ago. So, first of all, um, we have uh, an an epidemic, uh, you know, that started in the late uh, 1980s, really started increasing in the 1990s, and it's a heterosexual epidemic. And at that time, remember, we had things like the, which we still have very strongly, but under apartheid, we had, you know, enforced separation of of, uh, men from families. And that led to um, people being isolated in urban areas and and so on. So the, the whole apartheid structure that disrupted families really set the scene for a, a, a massive surge in heterosexual transmission mm-hmm. um, at that time. And then we've also got, if you look at our statistics um, uh, 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 in the region, we've still got very high numbers of teenage pregnancies. So we've got a lot of young girls still getting pregnant that tells us that uh, you know they're sexually active and they're not clearly not using condoms because the pregnancy is a surrogate for unprotected sex. And the other, the other thing then that is fueling this, this um, epidemic that's ongoing is, you know, who are they having sex with? And what we can see very clearly from numerous studies done in South Africa and in the region is that young girls are having sex with much older men. Hmm. Now, if you look at who uh, is most at risk of being HIV positive, 
it's women in their 20s, that's the peak age, but it's men in their 30s. And, and so what you're seeing is that these older men who are at high risk of being HIV positive are then having sex with younger teenage girls, and then the girls grow up, and then they'll have a, a relationship with someone of the same age, and they might be HIV positive. And so what you've got is this cycle of infection from older men to younger girls who grow up and have sex with the similar age mm. men, and then the cycle continues. So there are many reasons uh, why, there are many social and behavioral reasons why we had a perfect storm that has really set us up for this um, epidemic. And Professor Helen Rees, I mean, uh, earlier on we spoke about the treatment action campaign. Uh, that has expressed uh, concern at high number of teenagers and young people dropping out of their HIV treatments. Uh, it wants the government to come up with interventions that target young people who are HIV positive. Now, why are we uh, experiencing or witnessing young people dropping out of uh, their HIV treatments? Well, I think uh, if you, uh, you don't sound like you're too old, but uh, if you can remember <laughs> back to when you were uh, yeah. a teenager or, it, it, you know, people in their 20s, um, you know, life feels very different. Your outlook on life is very different. An adolescent's frame of thinking is very different to that of, of someone who's a mature adult in their 30s and 40s. And, and you know, you, you kind of think that this, this feeling that you're immortal. You see older people and you'll think, I'll never get old. Mm. And you hear people die, I'll never die. I mean, it's, it's part of the sort of framework of thinking for an adolescent. So risk behavior is very different in adolescence and, and risk behavior in adolescent girls and adolescent boys is also different. But the brain actually works differently around feelings of risk and mm. feelings of um, you know, thinking logically about what's good for you. So if you're going to change that behavior, uh, you're going to have to think about, you know, what is, how, how does a young person, a teenager's mind think, or someone mm. in their early 20s? Mm. What is it that's going to latch onto their framework of thinking of the world that is going to allow them to, to, to stop that treatment? Mm. I think the other thing, and I, I unfortunately didn't hear what the treatment action campaign said, but there's still a stigma. So I'm sure for a lot of young people, if they're living at home and sharing bedrooms and so on, people don't necessarily want to be seen to have the antiretroviral tablets. Mm. So stigma might also be another contributing factor. Mm. Well, uh, I do agree with you, Professor Helen Rees. And first of all, I would like to commend Vets University for being the global leader uh, in various HIV and AIDS related research for the past 30 years and on the 5th of november 2020 researchers from hiv prevention trials network reported uh, a study that shows uh, a new infection or injection rather uh, which is said to be more effective than the current daily hiv pill uh, to prevent hiv in women and now t- tell us about how this study came about because it was conducted here at vets university if i've been mistaken Yes, that's quite right, and and you're absolutely correct that we should be very proud. This was led by Professor Professor Sinead Delaney Moretway, who is a 
uh, director of research at Vits RHI, which is my research institute. And Vits RHI is, is uh, uh, the largest uh, research institute at the University of Witwatersrand, but also one of the largest in, in the whole African region. And Sinead led this study as an international study through this global network called HPTN. So, so it's a good question to say, how did this study come about? Because mm. uh, I promise you in my career, we started to look for things that would stop HIV infection right back in the, you know, the beginning of the 90s. We started doing studies and we were looking at, for example, for young women, we were looking at what were called microbicides. These are agents that uh, young women, we, we, we were hoping, could put into their vaginas that would prevent infection. And we went from topical microbicides like that to a few years, some years later, to a ring that slowly releases antiretrovirals that's put, put into the vagina and just changed once a month. And that was shown to be effective. But what we found with um, those kinds of products, it was quite difficult for women to be able to actually sort of use something just before sex. I mean, you know, and just after sex. The early products we tested with before and after sex. That's very tough. Mm. So we, over time, we tested things that were more and more practical, and the ring was that. But we also realized that actually putting something into the vagina isn't necessarily something that everyone wants. If you think about contraception, women are used to taking something orally or having an injection. So then we moved on and evaluated uh, having a daily oral pill, what you've just talked about, which we call pre-exposure prophylaxis. And we were able to demonstrate that if you take uh, some antiretrovirals on a daily basis um, and you take them quite regularly, that they can be highly effective at protecting both uh, men who have sex with men and young women against HIV. Mm. But again, it's tough to take a pill every day. Everyone, anyone ever tried to even finish a course of antibiotics mm. for five days? No, it's not easy to remember this. Mm. So we then said, well, what, what do young women want? And, you know, very strikingly, many of us working in the field have had long discussions with young women. And in South Africa, for example, there is a culture of using Depo-Provera as a contraceptive, which is a three-month injectable contraceptive. So there is quite an acceptance of long-acting injections where you go to the clinic on a three-monthly basis for your contraception and get a shot. So, mm. that, so a lot of young women were saying to us, actually, what we'd really like is an injection. And so the technology developed, and what was just evaluated is, is a, a long-acting antiretroviral called cabotegravir. Mm. And it was compared in a study to that oral PrEP. Both of them worked very well, but the long-acting cabotegravir was highly effective with just over 0.2% of, of people mm. in the study uh, acquiring HIV. So a highly, highly effective uh, method, which is a two-monthly inject, injection. And, and the exciting thing about that is that, you know, if we can, as soon as we can get that licensed and commercially available and obviously people are rushing to do this now and this really could be a game changer in terms of hiv mm-hmm. and professor helen Rees, not that i'm being pessimistic i mean in as much as the injection uh, uh dose or appeal or but it's an injection dose rather is not 100 percent effective uh, in preventing hiv in women wouldn't these 
lure or encourage young people to practice unsafe sex, especially those who would be injected and knowing very well, very well, I'm injected. And uh, just because I'm injected now, if I have unprotected sex with my partner, then uh, I won't be able to catch the virus. Don't you think that's how young people would start perceiving these, uh, uh, the, 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 the C-A-B-L-A injection dose? It's a really good question. And it goes back to your earlier uh, uh, comment about how do you communicate mm. to young people and the TAC's concern. And you're quite right. I mean, you know, one of the, if you like, side effects when we, when we introduced seatbelts into cars, uh, so we were securing people and wanting to reduce you know, deaths and accidents in cars by through seatbelts. What happened was people started driving faster. So you're quite right that people are quite sensible and they say, well, hang on, I've got a bit more protection here. I can take more risk. That's not a, a, um, an illogical thought. So the, the, and, and indeed with the oral prep we've seen in the U.S., for example, in some communities that, um, that people have stopped using condoms in the same way. But importantly for us here in South Africa, um, you know, if you stopped, if you, if you said, I'm going to throw caution to the wind and I'm not going to use anything, one of our other problems we shouldn't forget is very high rates of sexually transmitted infections. You know, we've got high rates of, of things called chlamydia and gonorrhea, trichomonas. These are all sexually transmitted mm, infections. Mm which can have quite serious um, sequelae in particularly young women, such as infertility. So you really have to say, look, we've, we've, we've done well in protecting. If you take this injection regularly, if you take this pill on a daily basis, we can go a long way to protecting against HIV, but, we, but that's not going to protect you against uh, an STI, nor is it going to stop you having a pregnancy if you're not on contraception. Mm. But the bottom line is we're going to have to have very careful communication campaign, which, as we said at the beginning, has to really be tailored to understanding where people, what people's thinking is, what their age group is, what their social environment is, who they might be hanging out with, all of that will have to be taken into account. Uh, mm. We can't message what we would for a 55-year-old to a 21-year-old. Mm-hmm. And Professor Helen Reese, I understand that time is not on your side right now. We uh, had initially asked for 15 minutes. But before we wrap up all the uh, conversation, Professor Helen Reese, I'm keen to find out from you, do you think the world's goal or the global goal to end AIDS by 2030 is achievable and why? I think it, it, it is achievable and uh, in, in several ways. Um, we've mentioned this long-acting prevention. Uh, remember that every year in South Africa, we're, at the moment, we're getting 200,000 new infections. Um, and as long as you're pouring in new infections, um, at, uh, you know, the taps are open at one end, uh, and then you're putting lots more and more and more people onto antiretrovirals, this isn't going to end an, an epidemic. You have to lower that number of new infections. So importantly, the technologies we're developing, we talked about the long-acting cabotegravy, but we're also looking at things called monoclonal antibodies, and we're still seeking a vaccine, although that's proving to be extremely hard for, for HIV. But the long-acting, sorry, the monoclonal antibodies that are under research at the moment also bear a lot of promise 
um, and would give us another technology and, as we say, a, a new antiretroviral ring that women can use on a monthly basis in their vagina is also available. Mm. So if we, if we can really upscale all of these technologies um, and we can push the numbers of new infections down below, everyone's now probably heard of the R naught that we've been talking about so much for COVID, so that we push that number of infection down, down, down below one. So that any one person who has got HIV is not is going to infect less than one person. Eventually, outbreaks and epidemics fizzle out because there simply aren't enough new people being infected. That's what we want to do with the technology. We want to push the new numbers of infections down to a point where that will fizzle out. We'll only be able to do that with those technologies, but also we'll only be able to do that if we keep people on treatment. Because if we don't keep our enormous efforts, which have been outstanding in South Africa, if we don't keep up those efforts to keep people on treatment and we have increasing numbers of people becoming infected every year and perhaps if we allow people to drop off their treatment or we don't find them and we don't start treatment, then what you've got is a bigger and bigger and bigger pool of millions of people who are still potentially able to infect other people. So it's going to have to be tackled from both sides, treatment uh, and keeping people on treatment and really rapidly upscaling the prevention technologies that we've got and underpinned, as the TAC said, with uh, very strong messages about behaviour change. That cannot Mm. go away. Mm. Mm. Well, Professor Helen Rees, Thank you so much for joining us right here on VoFM 88.1. I mean, time is not on our side, but uh, we I will try to uh, get hold of you to talk more about uh, the HIV and AIDS epidemic. It's very important to educate young people. It's very important to normalize conversations about, you know, making sure that we have safe sex as young people and also uh, trying to fight and... Uh, taking out the stigma about that, that, that uh, people who are HIV and AIDS are affected by, because it also affects their uh, self-confidence and also put pressures on their lives. Thank you so much, Professor Helen Rees. Yeah, and thank you very much for, for for having me and also for covering this in in such a very thoughtful way. Um, and it, it is a dialogue; it's a young person's dialogue. You know, it's really important that. Uh, we, we don't just take HIV now as a chronic disease like high blood pressure and mm, we just mm. think, well, we can get on with it. It mm. isn't like that. I hope that you're going to have the voices of young people also living with HIV because, you know, a lifetime with an infection that if you stop your treatment, we don't mm. have a cure at the moment. Mm. A lifetime which can be 50, 60 years of staying on treatment is not fun. Mm. And, you know, um, and some of these drugs, you know, are over time, for different reasons, we might get an emergence of resistance in HIV. People will have to change their drugs. Different drugs have different side effects. This is not fun. It is much better, number one, not to become infected. And if you are infected, to, to really own the, the fact that you're going to have to be really adherent to treatment. And, you know, it, it is something you're going to have to, to, to embrace. And you can live a really healthy and good and long life. But you're going to be living with a chronic disease. So, mm. so it's, it's important people don't just shrug this off. This remains a killing disease. 
every year 72,000 South Africans die mm. from HIV. Wow, thank you so much, uh, Professor Helen Reese, once again. And speaking of more voices, I mean, tomorrow we'll be joined by uh, a, a young person who has been living with HIV for uh, over 36 years. So I'm keen to find more from him, how he managed to uh, get over uh, the, 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 the challenges that he faced throughout his life. Thank you so much once again, Professor Helen Reese. Have a splendid day. Thank you. All right. There was up by There was a Professor Helen Reese, the Executive Director of the Vets Reproductive Health and HIV Institute at Vets University. Joining us on the line. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vets. By Voice of Vets. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. Or streams via www.valfm.co.za.